Our scripture today is found in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9b through 20. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened by all power, according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is the uh, final sermon in our series on what disciples do, not what do disciples believe, but what disciples do. And uh, what I hope is that, you know, with all that we've covered between uh, the start of September and now is that the Holy Spirit has encouraged you maybe with just one thing that you've heard or that you're, uh, you, you know, trying to live out because that's what this, uh, that's what the Sunday morning experience is all about, right? It's not let's listen and then, then, then let's leave. It's let's listen and let's try to live out uh, what the Lord is saying to us. Um, even if it's just a small thing, right? Growth usually happens in small incremental steps, not usually big leaps. And, and really that's what we're, we're about as a church, right? Is that we would know Jesus, that we grow in Him, uh, and that we would show Him to others. And, you know, and that links in with this whole idea, like, what, um, how do disciples live? Uh, because we want to show Jesus. We want to let our knowledge that sinks down into our hearts, helps us grow, uh, then actually turn into a lived out lifestyle. Um, how is my personal faith and how, how does our personal faith um, turn into a lived out and a public faith? Next week, we're going to start our Advent series uh, called The Geography of Salvation. And so we'll be starting that next week. But like I mentioned to you uh, earlier on in the service, uh, today is uh, is Christ the King Sunday or the Reign of Christ Sunday. And uh, what I love about these kind of special holiday Sundays is that, um, especially in this one, it helps us to remember that Christ is on the throne uh, and that his... You know, kingdom is approaching, it's here, and it is approaching. It is here in our midst, and one day it will be here in its fullness. Uh, and so I love that our, our scriptures today from the Revised Common Lectionary is all about Christ. Everything is about Christ. If Jesus Christ had an Instagram account, then the bio would be 
verse 15 through to verse 20 of you know, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. But this isn't an Instagram account. Uh, it, 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 it isn't a bio that you'd find on an Instagram account. But what it is, is a, it's a poem. It's a song. It's a hymn. And um, actually, speaking about songs, when we were driving around town yesterday uh, singing songs, some of them I didn't know because, you know, I'm not with it with what the teenage girls are into. Um, but uh, one of the songs that we listened to was Blank Space by Taylor Swift. And when that's from a 1989 album, and it's, uh, you know, it's a great song. And, but as soon, and I was riding up front, he was Ariana, and, uh, and I said to her, you know, this brings me back to driving to Wrexham in North Wales, um, while we were on furlough, uh, while we were home from the mission field. And I, I still clearly remember it. We were driving into Wrexham to find, you know, Christmas presents, and there was that feeling of Christmas and something coming, and, and there wasn't any snow because it's Wales, it's it's not here. But um, but it was that sense of excitement and and how powerful it is that a song out of context can transport you back into that very very moment. And and so it's not an accident that that our passage, you know, today is a hymn because hymns or songs are supposed to latch onto your heart. It's, it's, it's supposed to not necessarily bypass your brain, but in a sense, it does. And uh, it's meant to latch onto your heart so that you can recall it and remember. Um, so in the early church, you know, this is the song that would have been on the overhead projectors, right? You know, that they would have sung it week in, week out, and... Uh, you know, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so that's why I'm really pleased that Curtis turned this, uh, this hymn into a song last time I preached on it, uh, in 2016 and that we've sung it this morning because these words were created, you know, to be sung, not necessarily to be preached, that these came out of, of the overflow of a house church context in some neighborhood in first century AD. And through it being sung, it worked its way into the hearts and the consciousness and the psyche of the church. And it became something that when they wrote the scriptures, they said, let's include that because we're already singing it, which is incredible. So, and when we sing, what happens is that we meditate over each line, right? Um, so if you want to memorize scripture, uh, you know, the best thing that you can do, oh, well, one of the best things is to sing it and to let it infiltrate your heart so that you can recall it later. And that's why it's important for us to be singing hymns and to be singing songs so that we can get truth into our lives. In fact, I have a text file on my phone that has hundreds of hymns and songs there um, so that I can wage war against, you know, the changing feelings of my heart with the truth of the Lord. Um, so it's easy for me to say to you, uh, so if I was in preaching mode, which I am, it'd be easy for me to say to you this morning that these first two lines of this song reveal how Christ relates, first of all, you know, to God, that he's, he's 
the image of the invisible God, but it also reveals how Christ relates to us, that he's the firstborn over all creation. So I could say that Christ relates up to God as his image, and he relates down to us as the firstborn. But that's me saying it to you. But if you were to sing this and to sing it over and over and over again, it would do a number on your heart. And uh, it would allow the Holy Spirit to really do surgery in your heart in the way that, that you need. So my question as we start really this morning is, what songs are you singing? What songs are you singing when you hit Spotify? What playlists are you playing? Or if you're shaking your head, I can see some, when you put that tape in the tape deck and you rewind all the way back to the beginning and you press play, and hopefully it's not mangled up, what song are you hearing then? See, I'm relevant to all ages. It's incredible. Okay, back to the text. So this word firstborn, okay, it doesn't mean that Jesus was created. Okay, uh, you know, that he's the firstborn and Adam was the secondborn and so on and so forth. In fact, that's a heresy. It's called Arianism, um, that Jesus was created. Um, and firstborn, if we look at it, um, it seems to indicate that Jesus was created. But firstborn here isn't about physical birth. It's about status. It means that Jesus is in a place of preeminence. You know, just like the big brother would have been in the household in the ancient Near East. Oh, and as a little aside, were you aware that I think maybe last week the world, world population crossed into the 8 billion mark. So we have over 8 billion people, and there are over 200,000 people every day um, who are being added. And that means that there are 200,000 more people every day who need to hear truth of Christ. Uh, that is the reality, and that he loves them. But this word firstborn it does not mean that he was created. And we know this because in the very next verse, it says that everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And even as I'm saying this, I have Curtis's melody going through my head, right? That is the power of song. One of the things that you'll notice about this hymn is how many times the word, word or, or, if you're Canadian, or everything is used, okay? It's used eight times in my counting between verse 16 and verse 20. The word all or everything is said eight times. You've got all creation, everything, all things, all things, all things, all, everything, over and over and over again. Now, folks say sometimes, uh, that these modern worship songs are too repetitive and you just keep hearing the same thing over and over again. But it's good to know that this isn't just a modern worship song problem. They also had that problem back in the ancient Near East. Um, you know, so the, you know, the first century worship leaders like Matthias Redman and Philio Wickham or Hillsongoth, um, they also were tempted to say the same thing over and over and over again. All creation, everything, everything, all things, all things, all things, all, everything. But here's why they had to say this over and over and over again, because Christ worshipers like you and me often live like this isn't true. Because we live like everything wasn't created by him. That everything wasn't created through him and for him. 
we live like we're our own creators and we get to create or to redefine ourselves according to our desires. But in the Bible, we're told that it's all about Christ, that he is the creator. And so, friends, we need to get this right because I believe that we will save ourselves from a lot of confusion and heartache if we manage to just get verse 15 and 16 into our hearts and lives. For everything, let's just get this, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know, if you woke up each morning and you looked in the mirror and you said, I am created by Jesus, and I am created through Jesus, and I am created for Jesus, what would your day look like if you walked into the day with this ringing in your ear, I'm created by Jesus, I'm created through Jesus, and I'm created for Jesus? You know, just think of the sins that you would avoid and the temptations that you would withstand and the joy that you would get in work and school and the purpose you would find if you believed the truth that you are created by Jesus and you are created through Jesus and you are created for Jesus. And not only that, but when you looked at your friends or your spouse or your kids and you knew deep in your heart that they were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Friends, knowing this is where evangelism starts. Because when we believe this, what we're doing is we're telling people the way home. You could go up to your co-worker who's struggling with maybe depression or with self, self-worth, and you could say to them, do you know what the Bible says about you? That you were created by Jesus through Jesus, and for him. You know, just think if that was the basis of our programs, of our Cornerstone Kids, of our children's church, of our grow groups, of our discipleship programs. You know, just this week, I was on the phone with someone, and as far as I know, they're not following Christ. But after we were talking, I could hear the heaviness in her heart come out through her voice, and I've never said anything like this. You know, asking people this doesn't get easier if you're a pastor. You know, in some ways it gets more awkward because you think, am I just feeding into a stereotype that this person has? But what I said at the end of hearing what she shared was, I said, would you mind if I prayed with you? And uh, she hummed and she hard. Like, there was a significant uncomfortable silence And I'm there going, which way is this going to go? I had no way to know. And you could tell that it was a weird question for her. But in the end, she said, okay. And so I prayed a short prayer. And afterwards, she said, that's the first time in over 25 years that someone has done that for me. Now, I didn't say to her, were you aware that you were created by Jesus and through Jesus and for, for Jesus, right? But through my prayer, what I did is that I communicated that by telling her that Jesus loves her and that he's not responsible for what she's going through. And so I believe that evangelism starts with your friends believing that, Jesus, that they were made by him, through him and for him, and that when they come to faith in him, that what they're doing in... Uh, 
you know, for all intents and purposes, is that they're coming home. Coming home to the one who created them. And also, if you believe that you were, that, that Jesus is the creator, I also believe that this is where spiritual warfare starts. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are being created through him and for him. You know, we read here, every, there's nothing left out, right? Both visible and invisible, earthly and heavenly thrones, both visible and invisible, earthly and heavenly dominions, both visible and invisible, earthly and heavenly rulers, and both invisible or visible and visible, earthly and heavenly authorities. It was all created through him and for him. And here's something which I've learned through my years as a pastor, is that so much of what we deal with in a physical and an earthly way is just the tip of the spiritual iceberg. That there's stuff going on underneath the surface, which we try to address on a physical human way that that we will never see. There are forces at work, many of them are dark forces, malevolent, that they have your harm in mind, that they want to hurt you. They are spiritual realities, that there are these vast structures, there are these vast spiritual uh, processes at work, that if you could see them, if you could have the veil removed and you could see what is going on, as the Bible says, in the heavenlies, your eyeballs would explode. But here, through virtue of creation, we're reminded that even these scary things, that Jesus Christ is Lord over them all, even the rebel spirits that Jesus created them originally for him, and in rebelling against him, they've rebelled against his authority over their lives. So it's good to remind yourself that when you're feeling oppressed or attacked, that you can remind yourself and those things which are attacking you that Jesus is over them. Everything was created by him and through him and for him. But not only is Christ the creator, he's also the connection. Verse 17, he's before all things and by him all things hold together. He is before all things. Once again, this points to his supremacy. He's not created, he's the creator. He's before everything, Jesus was there. But also in him or by him, all things hold together. Jesus is the glue of the universe. Now you won't read that in any scientific textbook, but Jesus is the mortar of matter. He's the cement of the firmament. One author says this, that the the uh, the, the startling, oh, no, that's next, oh, Here's the quote anyway, um, says that the startling fact remains that Paul sees cosmic universal unity not in an idea, but in a person. Now, hands up if you've heard of the of a term called pantheism. Anyone heard of that? It's this idea, no, no one's heard of pantheism. What pantheism is, is this idea that God is in, not just in everything, but God is everything. So, you know, the tree is Jesus, and the beetle is Jesus, and you are Jesus. But this isn't the case because it says here he is before all things. But what he he does do is he holds everything together. There's this um, idea in the scientific world called the theory of everything. It was a movie a few years ago, really, really good film. And, uh, and, and the theory of everything, um, according to Forbes, is a proposed notion 
in the scientific community which states that there is one all-encompassing theory that proposes a framework of understanding all of physics, combining the quantum mechanics and classical physics into a unified approach which explains the laws of the universe, or as maybe Tolkien would say, there's one theory to rule them all. So I was reading this week about quantum entanglement. Okay, that's what pastors do. They read about quantum entanglement. Actually, I'd never heard of it before. But what quantum entanglement is, is a, it's a theory, um, and I want you to track with me now, is that if there is um, an electron or a photon from the same atom, and that electron or, or, or and, and and those those um, and those electron or photon from the same atom are split and separated, and they're light years away from each other. Um, what happens is that they remain linked or connected, even though they are far 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 apart. So if one of them spins over here, the other one spins in exactly the same way, and if this one moves up. The other one moves up, and if this one moves, I don't know if there's left, right, up, down in space, but if that happens, it happens over here. Now, I don't know anything about quantum entanglement beyond what I found in a quick internet search, but from what I understand is that scientists are still at a loss to explain how two electrons from the same atom can behave in exactly the same way when they're so, so far apart, when they're nowhere near each other? Could someone or something be holding everything together through the scientific laws? Or what about, uh, we've heard of gravity. Well, there's also a larger gravity which actually keeps local galaxies near each other. So it's not just Earth. You know, we're talking about, um, you know, our galaxy and a nearby galaxy like maybe Andromeda, that there's this larger, larger gravity which somehow keeps all of the galaxies moving around each other in the same way, and they're not just flying off into space. So what if somehow through the mechanics of scientific laws that God established that Jesus is indeed the glue of the universe, that by him all things hold together, whether entangled electrons or groups of galaxies. Christ is the creator and Christ, he connects all things. Now let's jump forward to verse number 20. He's the connection, but he's also the connector. And through him, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, in verse 17, this early church hymn glorifies Christ as the creator of everything and the connection between everything. But now, in verse number 20, just a few verses later, this hymn writer takes that thought beyond Christ as the physical connection to the realm of the spiritual, that God reconciles everything to himself through his son Christ. You see, for Jesus, it's not enough for him to be the unifying principle of the universe. He isn't just the one who physically connects everything together. He's not just the glue He's also the one who theologically connects everyone together. He's the one who spiritually connects everyone together. This is what this word reconcile means, is that Jesus spiritually brings everything back together. You know, God's goal, when we're talking about new heavens and new earth, God's goal is that there would be this universe-wide shalom or peace. That everyone would be at peace 
with the one who made them. Now, that's not to say that everyone will choose peace, but the possibility or the options there. The door is open to everyone. Now, how does he do this? How does Jesus spiritually link everyone to his Father? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus isn't only the connector and the connection, he's also the crucified one. So God can, God connects us with himself through Jesus' crucifixion by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, so far, if we track through where we've been so far, we've looked at Jesus as creator, we've looked at him as, as the connection, we've looked at him as the connector, and, and, uh, and we look at him as the crucified one. So the question is, and I find myself asking myself this a lot, how does the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago affect me in 2022? How does that impact this? Well, let's read the words of Andrew Murray to help us understand. Andrew Murray says this, His death, the bearing of God's judgment on sin, was the putting away of sin. He made an end of sin in bearing the condemnation and the curse and death. He bore away the sin. He abolished, broke the power of him that had the power of death and set us his prisoners free. The cross and the blood and the death of Christ are God's assurance to the sinner that there is an immediate acquittal to each one who will accept of and entrust himself to this Savior and an everlasting admission to God's favor and friendship. That's why the cross is important. So what happened 2,000 years ago absolutely transforms the life of someone now who places their trust you know jesus it's a form what happens over here has a real impact on your life now jesus dying on the cross over here changes your life over here as you trust in him and so this morning let me ask you are you at peace with god not because of anything that you've done but because of of jesus christ the crucified through his blood shed on the cross now let's jump back to about Christ. Disciples are all about Christ. And here we read the firstborn from the dead. So we glorify Christ as the creator, and we glorify Christ as the cosmic universal connection. We glorify Christ as the spiritual connector between us and God. We glorify Christ as the crucified, and we glorify Christ as the resurrected one, as the firstborn and the answer is yes. In verse 15, we read that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. And now in verse 18, we read that Jesus is the firstborn over the dead, or the firstborn from, from the dead. So this is talking about Jesus as the firstborn over all creation. This is saying that Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. And we talked about the new creation last week through Isaiah 65. And so we're starting to see these kind of repeated themes in this hymn. And this is not an accident, because how this works is that just as we need Jesus to make us and to create us in the first place, so we need Jesus to work a spiritual resurrection and to create us in a spiritual way. We need, to, uh, we need him to bring us to life. Our natural state is to live, and then we die, but in Christ we can be resurrected to live forever. And what's neat and, and how this works logically is that 
in the way that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, in the way that he, he died and he rose again, so that we can follow in his footsteps. And uh, we can rise from our own spiritual graves in his resurrection power in Christ. We're free from death and sin and hell. We are, in a sense, born again as a, re- as a resurrected people. And what is this group of resurrected people called? It's called the church. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And so, friends, if you're journeying with Jesus this morning, let me remind you and assure you that you never walk through life alone. That you are not the boss. That you are not the one who has the last word. And that should be a comfort. Because what this means is that you can appeal to a higher authority every second of every day. And that is Jesus, who's the head of the church. That you do not have to figure everything out yourself. You do not have to have all of the answers. Because we look up to Jesus as the head of the church. We are his body. We we live out his truth and his priorities that he sets. And the amazing thing is this is that it's through Jesus's, through, through his body, through the church, through these ones who've been resurrected from the dead, that Jesus is rolling out his kingdom across the earth. And this is what verse 18 means. So that he might come to have first place in everything. Hey, Jesus's rightful place as the King of kings and the Lord of lords is to have first place in everything. But um, verse 18 says, or it seems to say that even though this might be theologically true, that Jesus has first place in, that, in everything, it's not practically a reality yet. Okay, every time that you choose yourself over him, you're proving that he does not have first place in your life. And so that's why it says, so that he might come to have, right? It's a, it's a work in progress. It will happen, but it's not that yet there in its fullness. Jesus is the champion. He's won the race already, but not everyone has seen it yet. So as we draw to a close this morning, let's just track through verse 18. He's the head of the church, who are the resurrected ones. And he's the head of the church, or the resurrected ones, first of all, because he's the firstborn from the dead, and secondly, because, uh, oh, oh, sorry, firstly, because he's the firstborn over all creation, and secondly, because he's the firstborn from the dead. So he's our head because he physically created us, and because he spiritually created us. Now let's talk long distance running for just a moment. There's this guy called Roger Bannister, and he ran the first sub-four-minute mile in 1954. He was the champion. He ran it in three minutes, 59 seconds, point four. Now, up until Roger Bannister, no one had run a sub-four-minute mile. But after he ran this sub-four-minute mile, more and more people started running sub-four-minute miles. And it happened quite regularly. Why is this? Well, because Roger Bannister ran the sub-four-minute mile, other people started running the sub-four-minute mile. They could run it because of Roger Bannister, who was the champion. And in the same way, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn 
from the dead. He crossed that line from death into life. He was the first one, you know, to do it. Until Jesus, no one could, no one was raised spiritually from the dead. But now, in the world, across the world, there is literally hundreds of millions of people who are rising from spiritual life or from spiritual death into life. And because he was right raised from death into life, he invites us to be resurrected in the same way. Why? So that he might come to have the first place in everything. Okay, if you're a human here this morning, there was a point in your life that you were physically born. And this means that you owe your existence to Jesus. And Jesus, as your creator, is inviting you to give him first place in everything. And if you're spiritually born again, okay, everyone here was physically born, but not everyone has been spiritually born again. But if you are, then you are a resurrected one. You are the fir- you are you are born from the dead, not first born from the dead, maybe not even a hundredth born from the dead, but somewhere in that line, you are ten million and two born from the dead, whatever it is, and you're following in the footsteps of the first born from the dead, which means that you're part of his church. And Jesus is inviting you to make him everything, to claim him as your champion, as the firstborn from the dead. You know, one day Jesus will come and have first place in everything, and everyone will know that Jesus is the champion. But this morning, he's inviting you to experience in your little life what will one day be a universe-wide reality, Christ having first place in everything. You know, this morning, as we wrap up this sermon and this series, it's all been about Christ. And there's this uh, rapper, Lecrae, who says this, which I think sums up our message. Your money, your singleness, marriage, talent, your time, they were loaned to you to show the world that Christ is divine. That's why it's Christ in my rhymes. That's why it's Christ all the time. See, my whole world is built around him. He's the life in my lines. I refuse to waste my life. So as we end, and as we look ahead at, you know, Advent, as we look ahead at your week, whatever that week looks like, and I don't know what your week looks like, but I would encourage you to pray this sentence that will one day be a universe-wide reality. Jesus, have the first place in everything. Have the first place in everything. Now, like I said, I don't know the context that you're praying this into. I don't know how your heart is this morning, but I encourage you to pray to Jesus as your creator. Pray to him as the connector, as the one who glues the universe together. Pray to him as the connection, as the one who reconciles us to God. Pray to him as the crucified one, the one who made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Pray to him as the resurrected one, the firstborn from the dead. Pray to him as the church head, the head of the church, and pray to him as the champion. Simply surrender to him as you pray these words, have the first place in everything. So why don't we just take a few moments now and just in the quietness of this moment with no music, no nothing, Why don't we just say these words in the quiet of your heart, if you want to murmur them or or to whisper them, just think about that thing that you don't think that Jesus has first place in yet.
and just invite him into that. So I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking of things in my life. Have first place in everything. 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 You, you don't have to have it all worked out. You don't have to know the answer. But you can pray this prayer. Have first place in everything. Maybe you don't even feel ready for it yet. But just invite him into that uncertainty and say, Lord, regardless of how I feel, have first place in everything. You think of family situations, of war zones, of conflict, of situations that are yet unresolved. And we say, Jesus, have first place in everything.